everyone, and welcome back to The Rewatchman, where we don't review movies, we re-review them. We take an old movie you haven't seen in a long time and give it a give it a rewatch. We we figure out if it's as bad as you remember, if it's better than you remember, or if it's exactly what you always thought it was. I'm your host, T.C. DeWitt. I'm not joined by Ben today, but I am joined by a special guest, David Geisler of the Technophiles Podcast Network. Hello, David. TC Dewitt, how you doing? I'm so happy to be here. I'm I'm happy to be here. I've guested on uh, on your show, and now I finally, after all our years of collaboration, have gotten you on this show. It's true. I've been listening. I've been listening to. Re, I mean, you've been re, doing rewatchment for quite a while, and I think similarly to how you listen to Tech Files, I'll I'll kind of tune in on and off. I'll catch an episode here and there. So I've been a fan for a mm-hmm. long time. I'm a massive fan of uh, Top Shelf Disney that you do with Jeff Bell. I've been watch- I've been listening to every single episode Thank there. Thank you very much. And it, yeah, we were able to have you on as a bit of a guest, it, kind of a project we did on our YouTube page for Technophiles where you and I got together and played some old Nintendo games. And basically, ever since that experience, I have been harassing you to <laughs> allow me to come on Rewatchmen. Pretty, pretty much, pretty much, which is fine, though, because Ben's traveling abroad right now. He's in, he's uh, currently in Spain, I think, or or France. He's somewhere. He's oh, yeah. filming a documentary, so he's out of the country. And, uh, and so... Well, I'm so pleased to be here. I'm really excited. Today, we are watching um the 2000 and oh shoot what is it 2005 i think 2005 king kong directed by peter jackson starring naomi watts mm-hmm. adrian brody uh andy circus and ron livingston mr and, jack black oh that's right i was, <laughs> should credit the se- the second build guy in the cast right <laughs> jack black and uh, <laughs> jamie bell and a handful of others uh but yes so let's let's jump right into this When's the last time you it. saw this? Because this was your suggestion. Well, yeah, when I so I basically did Facebook message you and I basically asked you, please let me be a rewatchman. I want to be one so bad. And you said, <laughs> OK, cool. Do you have any ideas for films? And I gave you a list of about eight or ten of them or so. And my first one, though, was King Kong. The first one I even wanted to send you because I thought it would be a fun one for us to talk about. Yeah, I, I should I should have. I did see it in the theater. I should have described it as the uh, the commitment that is the 2005 King Kong because this baby is three hours long. <laughs> <laughs> well, the uh, the uh, the extended edit is about three hours. Yeah. There's a, you know, they chopped about 20 minutes off for the theatrical version, which is still pretty long. And we'll definitely talk about that. But mm-hmm. I, I saw King Kong. In the theaters, and I was very excited to see it. I remember enjoying it very much, even though this film is not without its flaws. Mm-hmm. And then um, I rewatched it. I, I received the extended cut DVD as a gift, maybe maybe ten years ago or something. And so then I watched the extended cut then, mm-hmm. and then if, and then I've only really rewatched it maybe for the fourth time ever. For this show, just you know, just yesterday, yeah, I, I, I'm kind of with new eyes. I'm in a, I'm a very similar capacity. When this came out, I was in love with the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I had, I had experienced mm-hmm. those. Um, not having grown up a fan of Lord of the Rings, my true experience with them was the films, and uh, and falling in love with Peter Jackson, watching the behind the scenes of Lord of the Rings, and seeing how he works as a filmmaker, yes. really, really helped me really formed an opinion of of him as a as a filmmaker that I love his style of collaboration um though back then back then when the lord of the rings were coming out I remember being obsessed with the gollum situation in in the second yeah. film and like the evolution of that technology I remember being very very excited about that yeah. so obviously when Andy Serkis was lined up to be king kong here I was 
equally as excited about that. Yeah, it's, it, back then. It, I can even remember seeing this in the theaters, and there was a couple moments, and we'll we'll get to them again as we're discussing here. But there were a couple moments in the theater where I was just in awe of what I was watching, and I could feel my friends around me yeah. getting getting antsy because it was a longer film, but I didn't care. I was so enamored by the the epicness of it, the adventure of it. Um, but it, I think that this film, yeah, yeah, it, yeah sorry, it, uh, it it did it did it does feel long, and in its rewatch as well, it does it does feel long. So, do you think that you watched the regular cut? Did you watch? It's on Netflix right now. That's actually how I watched it because I only own the extended cut. Yes. So I watched the theatrical cut on Netflix the other day. That's how yes, you watched it. I watched as well? it as well. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. My my extended cut is like three discs. It's ridiculous. Oh, okay. I just have the standard There's DVD a... with the single disc, no special features. Mm-hmm. I'm happy to have the extended cut, and on a and at a time when you can, when you have enough time to watch the extended cut, it's fi- you know it's weird with Peter Jackson. He does not like to trim back a movie. Oh, you know no. what I mean? Like yeah. that's the, that's the big thing with with Jackson and. I don't know if I want to dive into the pacing of this film right off the bat. I would like to talk about it, but let's kind of talk about some other parts about the film first. But I do want to say, I think this film does drag certainly at one point for sure and probably two other arcs. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There's two other arcs where it starts to drag a bit. But, well, actually, this might lead into the very beginning of the film. I remember, because also this is The Rewatchman. Yes. And yes. one of the things I love about your show is that it's not about watching a film for the first time. It's about watching the film decades later mm-hmm. with... A, a different context you know what i mean exactly so we are definitely i i watched this film post war for the planet of the apes trilogy post you know where where caesar's andy circus is looking shock just shockingly good yes His, that oh, performance God. is amazing it, it, in war for the planet of the I, apes. i've said it on this show before and I'll, I'll continue to say it i they have they have breached they have they have traversed the uncanny valley the the planet of the apes yeah special uh effects on those apes I believe it. I I am watching. They have mutated yes. Andy Circus into an ape, and he is now performing. <laughs> they figured it out, and this is the same. All things considered, this is the same. Um, you know, special effects company that did King Kong and also Lord yeah. of the Rings. They've evolved a little bit along the way, but basically, it's the same mm-hmm. company. And um, you know, they jump into other stuff too. It's, I think they're toying around with some of the Star Wars stuff right now, and they kind of dive, dove into. Well, Tintin's the same company, and it's the Avatar guys. It's all it. it goes up and down a little bit who gets involved but basically it's the same stuff so let's use Gollum King Kong and Caesar as a bit of a, a benchmark here for that technology sure. and I don't need this whole episode to be about that <laughs> That's fine. but that was obviously the as I started to watch King Kong again that was the most present thing for me as I was watching it I found myself I didn't want to be watching it as a special effects fan mm-hmm. I wanted to watch it as a film for a film but um only speaking about King Kong and the portrayal of King Kong and the performance of Kong, ultimately, I was still pretty pleased with Kong's CGI. I really was. How did you feel I, about it? Kong specifically, spe- the character. Yes, specifically King Kong's uh, special features. It, yes. It's hard not to uh, watch it and, and notice it because because we know. We know that it's a special effect. We know, right. And being fans, you and I and, and other people who might be listening, being a fan of Andy Serkis, you can't help but watch his performance as this motion captured creature and that's so it was yes his yes. his special effects the the kong special effects are really 
quite good. The in fact, it's the close-ups that are best when you can really get into his I faces. Was gonna, I have that in my yeah. notes. It's the the wides. They the, look like yeah. special effects, but the close-ups. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. This is what it is because a lot of times those wides are done as keyframe animation, and that's when the weight starts to go away. Yeah. So there was two big things I noticed with the Kong performance. Just talking about special effects right off mm-hmm. the bat, and then I'd like to talk about some other thing. Other things. Um, I've got a lot of notes here, <laughs> but um, the first thing I noticed was. Well, I, you know, it's just a little bit of an extension of the technology. The the way that the light bounces off of flesh and the way that there's a little bit of a lack of moisture is is a bit more obvious in this film. The compositing, some of the blacks aren't all the way black, mm-hmm. even though they're digital composites. They're not optical or anything. It's not like Willow or something like that. <laughs> but um, all things considered, yeah, the close-ups are fine they completely sold to me when we cut to the wides i know that they would do a lot of body stuff with him and he wore this famously wore this big heavy suit that made him give him gave him the appropriate weight and stuff like Mm -hmm. that um but they certainly were transitioning to keyframe animations often for some of that wide stuff yeah it's the uh it's the other special effects that don't quite hold up there's there's some so, some green screen or what whatnot with Naomi oh. Watts in his hand, or even some of those New York City wide shots, which are beautifully designed. They stick out just a maybe it's because that, it's streaming on Netflix or and it's not a, a special edition Blu-ray. But there were some special effects that really like oh boy that's a that's a special effect. There was the the biggest weird, this was I think this was a time. And again, I remember when I saw this the first time, I thought everything was believable and amazing, including the, the well, they're not brontosaurus, but whatever they are. The V-Rex. You know, brontosaurs aren't even a dinosaur. <laughs> oh, no. The, okay. Well, the four, specifically the, yeah, the apatosaur. Yeah. We'll say the apatosaur stampede. That one stuck out a lot to me. That one was almost hard to watch. Um, the compositing was so <laughs> uh, poor, frankly. You know what I mean? They're running, yeah. <laughs> like characters running in and out of things. And I remember seeing it in the theater for the first time. I was in it and I believed it. There were times where I thought, oh, that is a hand-painted shadow on a two-dimensional character that's been put into this pseudo-deep canvas experience. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And But I, I was in it. This time around, that apatosaur scene was flat out hard to watch. Not It didn't make me emotionally uncomfortable. I was in it for the story. Mm-hmm. But that that those composites are yes, rough. yeah. I can I can I can specifically remember sitting next to my friend Brandon watching that scene take place, and I believe it was I believe it was the Apatosaurus Stampede, but it might have been the the T the V Rex fight. But either one of those, when they finally ended, I remember like exhaling and, and turning to him and going, "That was cinema." I, I can remember the experience so, of seeing that on the big screen and being blown away by the the like you have to see that big that that's that is something peter jackson's good for i'm so glad you brought that up because i want to talk a lot about that t-rex scene um i don't know do the one thing is it okay if we don't talk about the film in order is that all right yeah yeah yeah. jump jump around jump around it's funny it's my first time being a (laughs) rewatchman just what what are your reactions what what is where's your heart take you we've we've got we're going through special effects so continue please well because that's because here's the thing now in a world post War for the Planet of the Apes, that be- that becomes something that you notice, you know? Yeah. Um, I do remember the first time I saw King Kong kind of not noticing the special effects and, and really believing most of it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, so, it's, it's amazing with CGI because there's always that thing like when you go back and watch first Jurassic Park, for the most part, a lot of that stuff really still plays all right. Like it's still yeah. believable for some reason. Um, in fact... Well, anyway, I don't want to get off on a tangent there. No, no, but, that's okay. Um, I mean, hell, it, it, honestly, it, 
it's a it's you you can't help but talk about Jurassic Park. What a, I think I just did an episode where I discussed dinosaurs are the pinnacle of dinosaur movies. Oh, I did it with Jeff. We were talking well, it about was your, your episode dinosaur, dinosaur on yeah. Top Shelf Disney. If you can't top Jurassic Park, don't even bother trying. And even like special <laughs> effects wise, right? Like um, uh, a Jurassic World, Jurassic World. Those CG dinosaurs look like CG dinosaurs, and I and I yes, have, they do. I and and actually, that this does go back to King Kong because perhaps mm-hmm. part of me might think, okay, do I think that the dinosaurs look like dinosaurs in Jurassic Park because I'm holding on to some sort of childish reaction to it I had the first time? But no, right. because I will rewatch that movie every couple of years or yes. so and still be blown away. I know that there's yep. a lot of animatronics, but even that uh, the the T Rex attack, that CG is is flawless. It's 15 years it's after fantastic. the fact. Yeah. Or one it, of the best examples is when the T Rex attacks the Gallimimus. It looks it completely lives in that sunlight. It looks the composite is perfect. It, it really is. There are times in Jurassic Park where, like the Brachiosaurus scene in the beginning. There might be here's the here's the thing. It's this is usually what get, there's three things that give CGI away, and I think that this can come back to King Kong. Yeah, it is um, if the weight of the character isn't sold through the animation. Mm-hmm. It is the way that light bounces off the materials that are being rendered, um, and then last but not least, it's the composite. It's how the thing gets composited into the shot. Yeah, and so I'd like to speak about that second point for a second about King Kong. Once in a while, his face. Oh, by the way, I think the reason. The Jurassic Park works is that there's restraint in the edit. Um, with Jurassic World, it's like, hey, we mocapped dudes and we can do these awesome wide shots of the raptors. Go, go, everything, just do everything, do it. everything, do we it can all. Do wide shots, so let's do wide shots. Yeah. Um, and technically, yeah, technically the muscle bouncing around on the Apatosaurs and King Kong, technically the muscle bouncing in the Velociraptors in Jurassic World, that stuff is all better. But the, sometimes, like, ironically, the weight isn't sold. So the point, I want to talk about one scene in King Kong where it's the scene where after King Kong has brought Anne Darrow back to his home or whatever, and this is typically, we we come to understand, this is basically where he usually probably eats said sacrifice, right? Right. Okay, yeah, I got gotcha. you. Yeah. And he is trying to scare her and stomp her, and she does not run away, that whole thing, you know. And this is when she t- starts to entertain him by doing her vaudeville stuff, and <laughs> he he's into it. Right. Yeah. Well, that scene completely works for me. I was watching it with a critical eye, and it's because Peter Jackson, and I'd like to believe that he did this on purpose, he's editing it like it's a, like it's a coffee shop dialogue scene. He's, yeah. It's like it's yeah. like two characters getting. T- there's clo- there's appropriate close-ups on Anne, appropriate close-ups on Kong. There's dialogue, uh, uh, um, not real dialogue, but the way that it's edited, it's like they're having dialogue back and forth, and it is so cool. And that kind of editing style for me, and then and then once in a while in that scene, they'll cut to a wide, mm-hmm. and then the keyframes show again. Yeah, yeah. Then the cre- and you get pulled out, but we go back to the close-ups, and if you get back into the emotion. And I love that Kong becomes a bit of a critic when she's trying yeah, to entertain him. He looks him. away. He's he looks away. <laughs> looks away. And that's the kind of stuff that Keyframe may not give you. Like, it needs to be mocapped. And you can imagine it's Circus. And it's funny looking at Andy Circus and seeing some of that performance also in Caesar, mm-hmm. you know, and some certainly. of the other things he's done. It totally was working for me. Now, I do want to point out, I think. That one of the problems with King Kong, so that, so that was the middle, you know, it's some of this is the weight, some of it's how it's composited in, 
Sometimes it's the animation. There's another trend that I think was happening in the mid-2000s. There was this kind of... So back in like the mid-90s, if something was computer animated, they were really excited about making it look plasticky and glossy (laughs) and making it look wet. And admittedly, some of what sells the T-Rex in the first Jurassic Park is that it's in a rain scene and they can render all of this like light refraction and reflection coming off the characters. And it's it's dark, so you get a lot of high contrast, low contrast. Plastic and metal is really easy to render, all things considered. Um, and so, so mid, you know, this is this is Toy Story. This is um, even I c- can't help but think of like horrible examples of this, but like Mimic and other things. Every creature and monster <laughs> had a plastic shell and was shiny in the water. You know, in the nineties, mm-hmm. in the two thousands, the technology it was just post Lord of the Rings. Now the technology was starting to become good enough, and I say that almost with air quotes, that there was a trend to go away from the glossiness. Mm-hmm. Um, they, things were being rendered a little flatter. And if you think about the Apatosaurs, you think about Kong, you look at like his cheeks and his face in these close-ups, there's a, there's a gloss to his eyes and there's a little bit of like sweat, but for the most part, it's rendered somewhat flatly. Yeah, it's very, uh, very leathery, um, or it's more uh, tight skin, I suppose. Uh, when you look at like there's, classic King Kong, it's all fur, but this this Kong, yeah. there's a lot of uh, more realistically shaped to specifically a gorilla as opposed to half gorilla, half man, which is he's been presented well, in the past. That's true, and I loved that. I loved that. Oh yeah, um, yeah. I, you know, how did you feel? about that relationship in this film. Well, this is a good segue here because you were discussing that scene where she performs to him and he reacts. uh, That's a good, that's a good relationship. I think that's one of the definitive scenes of the film. Oh, certainly. For the tone. Yeah. For the tone of this film. Absolutely. I think that's well, okay, first I'll make a joke, um, which is, what do you think the percentage of this movie is just Naomi Watts staring silently? Like, what do you think that? Uh... <laughs> so I don't know, because I, I do know that a lot of the time they would have Andy Serkis on set with her. No, I, I just mean literally ladder. there'll be shots of Anne just staring <laughs> like she's reacting. Well, it's a he, lot of emoting. It's a lot of reacting. He is kind of in love with her close up, isn't he, Jackson? That, that, which is fine. That being said, she's wonderful in this movie. Her her portrayal of of Anne um, is is superior to any version of King Kong you could possibly have, specifically the female lead, because she's usually uh, an object. I don't know if you, what your familiarity is with the Kong franchise. Cause there's been, I've a... seen all of the, I've seen all of them except this, this kind of B movie one that just happened. Okay. I don't okay. care about yeah. that one. Oh, really? Well, uh, the uh, Naomi Watts in particular in this film is, is really proving just how capable she is as an actress. She's so good. Yeah. Um, to to be able to perform to Andy Serkis in in his green screen suit, but it's just yep. hard not to fall in love with her because of her eyes, because of the the it's way true. she moves, the way she portrays her character. Um, her her I mean, jumping to the end. That's a perfect example. Jumping to the end, she's full on crying when he falls to his death. She is yeah. losing yeah. a pet. Or a friend, or a protector, a friend, a friend. or a family I, member. Yeah, I, 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 like, there, there's certainly a an like I even after the three hours of watching it and even thinking like, oh, this is really I'm really feeling its length when it when it gets to that end, that final moment when he silently looks at her one last time and his eyes dilate as he dies and she and you cries. You can see it. You can it's, see it. Yeah, it's it's beautiful. It's beautiful, and it's and it's I'm I'm putting that 
uh, a lot of that on her incredible per- incredible performance, her sincerity, mm-hmm. and her that that dreamy eyed look that she has. I I really like it's her true. in this. She's and, so good in this. I mean, she's very rarely. She very rarely gives a poor performance. Naomi Watts usually really does kind of nail it in a lot of the stuff she does. Yeah. Um, there that that is that's a good point. You can see him die in his face when he does, and almost nothing moves. You know what I mean? Like we've seen yeah. characters die. There's even humans aren't that good at like. I mean, Circus <laughs> did a wonderful job, but like it's like, uh, 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 and then they fall down and they you know, the tongue sticks out. Like that's like the movie death, right? Like, like might as well, well put crosses I, on. I, I, I always like. I always like to point to the one of the worst cinematic deaths in a major motion picture, which is um, Marion Cotillard's death in The Dark Knight Rises, where she goes. Eh, eh. <laughs> that's <laughs> it's so, true. true it's so bad i love nolan but that is so bad but that's that's beyond oh, the point um so it's so subtle how kong dies and that's just that's just uh uh emblematic of the entire kong portrayal in this film mm-hmm. and ultimately that's you know if we want to speak about story a little bit that's what really got me with this film i've i would so recap with the special effects a lot of the special effects don't quite work for me the composites are really dated Kong still does work for me. There's a, yeah. it's a little rough around the edges, but I don't think it breaks the film at all, even by today's standards. And I think those close-ups, with the exception of a little bit less rendering capabilities compared to stuff we've seen in War for the Planet of the Apes, like mm-hmm. in War, I mean, you almost see the sweat coming out of his pores, like literally individual. Oh you yeah. Know, yeah, that's that's two thousand five. Like that's really really good for two thousand five. I thought it was. I thought it held up. I re- I really thought it thought it did. So with that said. The thing that I was so excited about with this film the first time I saw it, and something that absolutely still worked for me this time around, was the portrayal of Kong not as a monster, but as an animal. Right. The The real antagonist of this movie is Jack Black's uh, Denim. Like he's, he's the bad guy absolutely. of this movie. Uh, really, the, this movie, uh, Kong himself has always been this wonderful allegory for man's hubris right you have the mm-hmm. uh, the the it usually ends uh, that all these kong movies end with kong climbing some monument to man's hubris so we have the empire state building this you have the chrysler building yep. or uh the world trade center from the 70s version that was the 70s one yep yep, yep. with uh, jeff bridges jeff bridges um but it's uh, it it's the the uh hubris is the enemy denim is the representation of that kong though he's he he's not the villain. He's not a villain at all, and he never really is portrayed as such. He's portrayed as powerful. Like I don't know. As I was watching, I was like, "What is Kong then in this movie?" Because it's not. You know, there's a moment in that. Since you brought up the 1970s one, there's a moment where once once Kong brings is the character's name Anne in that movie. It, well, whatever. It, it's Fade. No, it's not Fade Dunaway. Who is it? It's the uh, gal from American Horror Story. Uh, 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 I'm, well, I mean, the character's name is uh, Anne Darrow. Is it still in the seventies one? Yeah, the seventies one was Jessica Lange, and she Jessica Lange. Uh, the fact you. that that didn't ruin her career is just a credit to her as an actress as well. <laughs> so it's friggin' creepy in that version. Kong like comes back and starts trying to take her shirt off and stuff like that. It's weird. In the nineteen oh, seventies hey, one, the original, he's weird. He, the original Kong takes the clothes off of Anne. He strips her and he Actually, tickles her. Were... Yeah, yeah. The the oh, the, man, the, sec- you might be right. That's the true. sexualization of King Kong as a character is part of the history of the character. There's there's certain elements of the Kong series. Actually, you know what? Let's back up. Let's back up. How odd is it that this is a character that is continued to he's continually come back to? He's not from literature. He's not from mythology. He's not from legend. Right. Like King Kong is one of the 
only franchises that exist strictly as a film. He was created on film, and he yeah. is a franchise that they continue to come back to. Um, but the some of the history of the character is is rooted in some not not great things. There's the the sexualization of Hulk. Uh, Hulk. <laughs> too funny. Well, there's there's that too. But the the sexualization of Kong to Anne, uh, how Anne is treated like a like a a, a rag doll um, damsel in distress. Uh, there's yep. uh, even the '70s one. There's even some. Uh, I mean, they even say this this is the creature that raped you, right? Right, right. It's weird. Um, and then there's also the the way the natives have always been treated throughout the course of the series um, in very varying degrees of racism. Um, I always felt like the 19... When I, whenever I go back and watch the 1930s version, 33 or whatever, mm-hmm. like, there's a little bit of this, like, that it's not acceptable, but it's, like, of the, the times, unfortunately. Yeah, you know? yeah. Like, that film is very of the times with the sexualization and the racism and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. The the funny thing is that like the natives in this are so horrifying to look at, which actually we we should come yep. back to about Peter Jackson I was as a filmmaker. That he did that. Yeah, yeah. He there's goes to his horror roots there for yeah, sure. Yeah, there's he goes uh, to his like choppy slow motion frame stuff that he did in a little bit in like Feebles and stuff like that. Actually, I, I have a note for that that one of Peter Jackson's trademarks is this weird shutter frame slow mo, and he does it quite yeah. a bit in this. There's there's moments in Lord of the Rings <sighs> a that he too did much. it, but he does it a bit too much. Yes, yes. Yeah. And it, I don't. I'm not in love with it. I think sometimes it works, but it feels like. Back in the early 2000s, well, maybe maybe this is appropriate. Back in the early <laughs> 2000s, when you get your first Adobe Premiere and you didn't shoot at a high frame rate, but you still slow want it to it be down. slow-mo. Yeah. So you do post-production slow-mo and it never looks good. And that's what it feels like to me. <laughs> it feels like, oh, this wasn't I, shot at I'm, a high frame rate. I'm, this guilty. Is... I'm guilty of this. I have I have done a short where I, I slowed it down. It's a war scene, so I totally, uh, I totally uh, rationalize yeah. it by it's the, whoa, it's the lens of war. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. Um, but well, uh, yeah, yeah. The, anyway, I was going to yeah. talk about how like today there's like technologies that'll paint new frames in, so you don't have to deal with that as much. But that's a conversation for a different show. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, well, the the, uh, you know what? Let's let's actually keep going down that avenue. So the difference, okay. is, something that this movie is that is very very rare, and and you can you can agree or disagree with me or not, but what I think is this is an adventure film, strictly an adventure film. And I think unabashedly so, yeah. There are no adventure films made. Like adventure films are not something that gets made very often, and that's what makes this movie. I I feel causes uh, to, to rub people a certain way, like to rub people the wrong way, because we come into things now. Even even back in two thousand five, um, you you come in with an expectation for blockbusters, right? And it's yeah. not, and it's not the classic adventure film, right? You, it was action. We were in a post Matrix, and we were in a post Spider Man era of film, so okay. black, blockbusters were very different. And adventure films like this, Peter Jackson King Kong, is from a bygone era, right? Now you get an adventure film, yeah, and it's Guardians wise, yeah. of the Galaxy. It's it's uh, it's sci fi adventure, or it's. It's they play up. If you look at Jurassic World, it plays up an L like a gimmick. This is straight up an adventure movie, and that's that's yeah. very out of place, I guess. You see what I'm saying? 
Well, and that's kind of what's interesting about this film. I think, I mean, it, it did it did fine at the box office back in the day, and, and generally people still enjoy it for the most part. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's a little hard to, that apatosaur scene's a little hard to swallow, and sometimes people get a little bit, you know, that first hour, first hour is all just on the boat, and just real yeah. quick, I remember the in the rewatch, that first hour felt a bit long for me. I do remember in the theater, though, I was fine with it, because there was so much anticipation. Yeah. On a rewatch where you don't have that, it did feel a little long. So that's one of those spots where I would argue it drags a little, but I think the first, I gotta admit, the first time I saw it, it did not feel like it was dragging. Mm-hmm. The only part that really hurt, and I'm getting, I want to come back, but the only part that really hurt was I really felt like that airplane stuff dragged way too long. But anyway, so <laughs> coming back to the adventure <laughs> element, oh, too many, it's about 15 minutes too much Just of airplanes. But anyway, let him die. <laughs> I know, I know. There's They make seven or eight passes that they don't need to make. They could have accomplished the same story with like four passes. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, um, adventure film. So we have this weird thing with this movie where we're making the monster more realistic character wise, mm-hmm. but the the adventure element is incredibly heightened. You know what I mean? I mean, the amount of featured extras that get 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 killed multiple times. <laughs> what's what's the what, what's the body shot in this movie? This is the... <laughs> so I did check on Wikipedia because I've been I even noticed this the first time. I was like, man, people are really getting cr- crushed and crunched left and right here mm-hmm. um, and because also now we're in a time post Lord of the Rings where we can have digital doubles so you can throw people off a cliff <laughs> this film is not gratuitous it is not you're not seeing skulls get crushed or anything mm-hmm. you'll just see a body fly into a stone and the editing you know it's not <laughs> it's still in my opinion it's still actually kind of tastefully done even though people are getting smashed left and right um it never relishes in that, and it often plays it in the wide shot. It'll let someone just get smashed. And that's part of the shock value, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you're just seeing a boat get thrown and, like, eight guys fly up into the air. But if you really keep count, you're kind of like, man, they had 12 people with them. And I think six of them just flew off of that tree. <laughs> but they still have, like, oh, now they're down to 10. There's a lot, like, and maybe that's the adventure element. Like, if this were a bedtime story, maybe you just keep going with it. But um, so Wikipedia did have one thing on this, which... um. They said that there's a there's a goof. This is in the goof section on Wikipedia. They said that uh, Jack Black's character says uh, there were 17 members perished. But if you actually watch the film, the body count is 27. So apparently Whoa. on the island, yeah. the body count is only 27. And frankly, I feel like it's almost more than that. Yeah, it felt I, I would it, it felt like a lot. But I suppose Kong does take out a few people once he's tear like tearing through New York City and chucking blondes left and right. <laughs> it's true. Well, and I mean, and that's a bit shocking. He, he'll throw a character off the screen so we don't see her mm-hmm. crack her neck when she hits the ground. Unfor- you know, that's a horrible thing to think about. And so you kind of got to go with it. You go with the horror a little bit, the horror of it all. But um, I also, on this rewatch, paid attention more to when these characters got thrown around. (laughs) And I think there's a lot of times where we'll see a character get thrown against a tree or thrown into a bush, and they're not necessarily dying in the context of this story, you know? Right, right. So I think there's a lot of that stuff going on. Certainly. When when not Anne gets grabbed at the theater and thrown, Mm -hmm. I I had a Mm -hmm. a mental moment of going, eh, she probably broke a bone, but eh, I'm sure she's fine. Um, It's like, I hope she didn't land on her head and she probably broke her wrist and we'll (laughs) go with this or whatever. There's a couple couple of things now uh, we've, we've, Peter Jackson's ability to tell his horror roots, right? They show in everything yep. he does. But I agree. In, in particular, I think Peter Jackson is a master of of tension. Uh the the boat yes. the boat crash scene is proof of his ability 
of, for tension because that is I mean, not it's beautiful. Yeah, that is not a a breakneck boat crash flipping through the waves. There's a there's a steady pace to that crash, but the the horror of it, the reality of it, it's very it feels it feels real that the 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 You're concept of, right. yeah of the sailors knowing what this crash could mean for them in the look I mean in if you think faces, about it yeah. there's literally there's like the smoke they're hearing the in this case for that one scene the island is the monster if this were a horror film mm-hmm. the island's the monster they can hear it they can feel it once in a while they can't see it there's smoke it it kind of gets revealed here and there it's beautiful. Oh, by the way, there's a lot of times this might line into this, line up with this. I took this note multiple times. Often, the score completely cuts out in this film. Yes. Oh, you're there getting are multiple you're, moments where there is not music, and I love it. Yeah, you're getting to uh, actually one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie. But first, my first note is. Uh, Wait, no. Let's. If we're talking about T Rex scene, we're saving no, it to the end. It's not. It's, I, not, it's not the T Rex okay, scene. It's not the T Rex. I need to talk about the T Rex scene, yeah. but let's save it. Uh, so I thought Howard Shore did the score for this because he had done no, the it was score. your friend dinosaur man. it was uh, james newton howard was the Indeed. which is funny because i had just as of recording this episode of the rewatchman jeff and i had just recorded an episode of dinosaur so uh, yep. uh but james I newton howard the other day uh, thank you for listening uh james newton howard is is one of the best um and when it started it his score feels epic this feels like again like the bygone era of the live orchestra in the theater mm-hmm. um, there's a there's a there's a greatness to his his uh, his score but you had mentioned it the lack of a score is often better and one of the most effective uses of that and one of the most horrifying scenes in this movie is, is the is the bug scene that is such so I have- skin crawlingly I have complicated emotions about that scene because from a from a screen from a pace of the film point of view, my instincts want to say we don't need this scene. Let's get back to the story. That scene is so well done that I'm fine with it. Yes, it is so terrifying. It actually starts with the first time the bug crawls over Anne and it's just got the yeah. long tendrils and it touches her mouth as it's just hanging yep. open. And I'm like, why aren't you screaming? And then of course she screams and then the whole V-Rex situation starts. But that gulch, mm-hmm. there's no score at the beginning and it's just the sound design and it's those disgusting bugs. Oh, and there's a lot of practical uh, bug stuff in there. Um, the, plenty it, of digital too, but you're right. Yeah, plenty. Oh yeah, there's there's plenty of digital as well. But it's such a ugh. So it's beautiful because it starts with that just kind of ominous choral thing, you know, yeah, and it yeah. becomes a nightmare. And I also remember the first time I saw this film because in the original, the 33, basically the, the little model tree falls and then we move on. And in this film, the camera goes down there and follows. Our leads actually do fall down the ravine, mm-hmm. down into the gulch or whatever, which what which surprised me the first time I saw this film. And, um, you know, like, again, like I say, my instincts want to tell me that this is bloat, that this is film bloat. We don't need this scene. Let let your featured extras fall into the thing and let your your leads just grab the side of the wall and let's continue the story. Yeah. But we get down there. And I mean, technically, because we have the two hero thing, we have the guy from Friday Night Lights and then <laughs> uh, the guy from Predator or the pianist. Um <laughs> Ron Livingston and Adrian Brody. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. I don't have. I know. I'm so sorry. No, that's I, okay. Sometimes I think faster than I can talk. But anyway, um, um, you know, the, the hero part is kind of being pushed between those two characters. So this does give our actor hero some redemption when he comes in and helps save the. <sighs> 
there was a shot in that gulch. Like, so again, I'm still a little conflicted with if that gulch is necessary or not. Mm -hmm. But there's a moment in the middle where in, in a wide shot, a character gets clipped and pulled and tossed to another couple, you know, one of these digital featured extras. <laughs> Basically, this little guy gets ripped apart in a wide shot yeah. by a couple crab creatures. Head comes and it's, up. It's not gory. Mm-hmm. It's not inappropriate. It's absolutely horrific. And it's beautiful and a nightmare. It's nightmarish. It's, and I got to say, it's handled so much better than, for example, like something in The Lost World where the two T-Rexes rip apart the guy from West Wing. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it was so well done. It's it's moving. It really is. Yeah, that scene is. I can remember in the theaters, just eyes wide. There's several moments throughout the course of this movie that are cinematic experiences, and it's it's one of those situations where if you didn't get to see this on the big screen, watch it as big and as loud as you can now. Yes, because I agree. because Peter Jackson is a master of cinema, much like our our oft praised Christopher Nolan. There are very few filmmakers who make movies for the big screen. Michael Bay would be an example of someone who makes movies big and loud and you need to see them big and loud. And I can remember watching that bug scene and just eyes wide, terrified, but in awe of that scene. Mm -hmm. And you're right. You're right. Because actually, let's talk about the script for a minute. (laughs) Yes. We've already already discussed that Peter Jackson has a hard time cutting things. but. Something that really struck me about this movie is there is a lot, in fact, there's too much in the first half of this movie of telling, not showing. There are these weird exposition yes. dumps that are that that are they, they're unnatural. Like to to have Jamie Bell steal a pen and then um, the the skipper. Dick, take hey, give Mister Den or give Mister uh, Driscoll his pen back. There you go. Yep. Yeah. Ben. Yep. Yeah. Cool. He's he says. I have a uh, note about him. Okay. He 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 gets the pen back and he goes. There you go. Here's your pen. I found him down here a long time ago. His arm was broken <laughs> in two places. And and part of me wants to write that off as it's it continues that more classic filmmaking style. But, yes, I, I understand. But I can't forgive it because there are more than one spots. There's more than one spot where it's a little, it's just, hey, here's information for the audience for you to care about these characters. I would rather those characters didn't even have that much story. Uh, I agree. And there is a classicness to the, the pseudo monologue-iness of some, what some of these characters say. Mm-hmm. And I think there is a bit of, I don't know if they're homaging it or if it was just kind of, in one's mind when this script was being written, you know, that there's a bit of a tone there, but I agree. There's a lot of, by today's standards, unneeded stuff. Yeah. And, and they, and the funny thing is that there's a, there are perfect examples of doing, of showing, not telling. And the best Mm -hmm. example of that is Ron Livingston's character, the Hollywood, the supposed leading man, the man who should be the leading man. There is a whole lot of, his performance just informs the character. I love when he ha- yep. hangs up all his posters and he's looking at himself and he's winking at his posters. He tests his mustache. He yeah. wants to see what he well, looks like with a mustache. Oh, it's yeah, great. Because you come back the second time and Jamie Bell has has taken the marker and he's like, that, ooh, and he doesn't say anything. He's just like, oh, I'm going to, oh. and then he sees himself with a mustache and he puts the comb That's up. Right. And That's it's like, right. that is all showing and it's wonderfully done. Yes. And, and and also speaks of the, the, uh, Peter Jackson's odd dark sense of humor that he has a it's it all comes back to his horror roots I think that that 
he he can sell a joke really well in something like that. That mustache moment. That's his mm-hmm. concept. That's Ron Livingston's performance. Um, it's neat. It's neat, and and I can appreciate that. But I I will I will dock points on this film for having a little too much of that exposition dump scenes. So let's talk about pace a little bit here then, as far as from a script point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, during once they were on the island, so that whole first hour, this on this rewatch, I was having a bit of a hard time with it. But I kind of wrote that off. I said, okay, I'm just going to accept that that first hour for this for this time, maybe it's a little broken, maybe it's not. I don't know. Um, so I just decided to focus on the st- the script while they were on the island. So I guess you could say like it's kind of the second act, you know, once Kong's revealed before, you know, I honestly really feel like the third act starts before New York, but I think technically the third act might be New York, mm-hmm. but emotionally, I think the third act starts a little bit before, but anyway, um, I was, so in the extended cut, there's two, at least two solid additional scenes, both of which revolve around the adventures of the group of guys. Okay. There's a basically a Triceratops attack scene, which is an homage to the Stegosaur scene in the original. Mm-hmm. Um, and this and this Triceratops, it's not a Triceratops, but it's a Triceratops, is stomping around <laughs> and the guys fight it. And then in the when they're going through the river in the extended cut, there's a fish battle scene. This huge fish comes oh, along okay. and gives them a hard time. Yeah. And both these scenes are well done. They might be a little excessive, but they're well done. And I can see. You know, okay. So so with that said, let me say that in the normal cut. I was forcing myself to ask, like, am I? Are we with the group of guys too much? Where is the story? Where am I? I'm the most interested in Kong and Anne getting to know each other. Yeah, and yeah. their dynamic is the most interesting thing here. Absolutely, the most interesting thing. I think in the original, in the '33 version, the most interesting thing is the journey to the monster. Honestly, right? The, the you know woman, what I mean? It's the the woman is the MacGuffin. Like that's what they're going. It's to, save the princess. F- the first fought, one saved yeah, the princess. Yeah. yeah. And this time around, it's it's completely different. So I kept asking myself, do we need to be with the guys so much? And I kept look, I kept waiting for bloated scenes. Fine, maybe the gulch could be shorter, but like we said, it's a beautiful scene. Fine, the tree, you know, the tree scene I thought was really well handled. Actually, it was it was there were some really good homages in there to the original. Um, maybe the maybe the stampede could have been brought down, but I will guarantee that there was too much with the guys in the extended cut because these additional adventure yeah, scenes. Yeah. So maybe that was the right choice to take some of the some of the guys out. With it said, I don't know if I need as much of the guy's storyline. And I kept asking myself, why is this here? And is it like, is this scene only here so that I have a break from the emotional, the rom-com of Anne and Kong? Like, <laughs> maybe what ultimately I don't think I was uncomfortable with too much, though, in that second act. As far as that, yeah. balance. I couldn't find glaring moments where I was like, we, sh- we should be back with Kong. I, I, for the most part, I'll agree that uh, that the character, all the characters are interesting enough that I, I don't mind being with them. But there is this yeah. weird uh, power struggle in the leading man. So the the gag is that Ron Livingston's, um, I'm, yep. I'm forgetting what his character's name is, Baxter. He's he's supposed yep. to be the leading man, and he's obviously a coward. And Driscoll, who uh, Adrian Brody's character is supposed to be, this writer but he's the one willing to run off into the woods to save the heroine absolutely but and it's a play the, it's a play on the original if i may real quick it's a play on the original where the hero really was the hero yes yes absolutely um and uh while those two are struggling for that i mean it's not a hard struggle because adrian brody is sold as the hero uh heroic mm-hmm. male lead pretty much from the get-go um but he he at pretty much every single character except Anne and kong are 
they're gone. The third, the final, the finale of this movie is just those two and their relationship. So spending yeah, spending the hour to get to know Anne up until Kong appears at the hour ten mark, and then watching them through the rest of the film, it's all about those two. And even going so much so as like, uh, D- David, what happened to the captain? Where'd he go? Like, we don't know. Yeah, we don't know. After <laughs> after the end of Act 2, where he's got the harpoon on a boat, I don't think we see him anymore. Nope, he's gone. And and, and it's, it's like, oh, yeah, he was a character. And that's that's a detriment to the film that... Yeah, I mean, like, it's tricky, because it's, it's the whole New York stuff is tricky. Beca- okay. <sighs> I might be going into dangerous territory here. I f- like the New York stuff has to exist because it was in the original, mm-hmm. but it's such a shift. The perfect example of doing it wrong is Jurassic Park, the lost world, which was kind of <laughs> trying to do its own version of this. And I'm, I mean, I'm serious about that. That movie completely falls apart once that happens. Once they but get anyway, to San Diego. Yeah. 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 You know, and, and in some ways it, it's not that King Kong falls apart when they get to New York. It's fine, but it feels like an, it feels like an extended epilogue. Now there are character beats that happen. I think that the, uh, the ice skating scene, we'll call it, uh, is a bit of redemption. And that was added later. That was not in, that was not in the extent it was, it was in the theatrical cut, but it was added in very late in the game, by the way. Classic Peter Jackson. I've finished filming the movie. It's ready to be released. Can I quickly film another scene? <laughs> well, they threw that one in there, and I really think that that saves that third act. I really oh, do. That's yeah, the scene that's, that matters. It's a beautiful That's the scene. only scene that really matters in that. I mean, I guess you need the other scenes as the negative space, mm-hmm. and that, that's what it is. I kept asking myself, what is the negative? Because when a movie is this long and this big and this bombastic, where is that negative? Is something there to be negative space for the main story? Is it a B-plot? Is it something else? Yeah. Do we need Kong throwing 20 more cars or <laughs> rake, wrecking five more trains? I mean, maybe we do. Blonde. Maybe we do. Blonde. Maybe you need the chaos so that when we get to one of those moments, you know, it's there's a contrast. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? I, yes. I, it's hard to look at this movie and decide what I would cut just off the off the cuff. But there were certainly with Jamie Bell's character, and you said Ben was the big guy. Um, yeah, like his stuff could. I don't know. It's it's this. It's because there's so much. I I'm I'm almost certain there are two hour versions of fan cuts of this movie. Well, you know, and the reason we're focusing on this so much is, I mean, you shouldn't go. You shouldn't. The main conversation point on a film shouldn't be how could you make it shorter. But I think it's yeah. kind of unanimously <laughs> agreed that this film might be twenty minutes bloated i think everybody agrees it might just be a little too long even though i actually really 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 like this film yes i i for as much criticism as i'm i'm picking at it oh this is a a masterwork of of a director it is a masterwork of cinema it is this is a classic homage to a film that inspired not just peter jackson but an era and generations of filmmaking that's i go back to that point of king kong was created on film He's not this centuries-old myth, right? He's existed on film in all of his, all of his forms, um, right. and there's 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 some wonderful choices being made in this film. Um, actually, let's let's talk about uh, Jack Black as being cast as Denim, which is odd <laughs> to say the least. So you know, here's the weirdest thing in the world. I agree, but when I heard that he was cast as the director as Denim, I was kind of excited about that fact back in the day when I heard that he was cast mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because you know I kind of thought well if there is going to be one okay so there's a note there's in some behind the scenes thing somewhere on some DVD or some YouTube video there was a note that um, 
Um, the biggest thing that Peter Jackson liked about Jack Black was the craziness in his eyes when he was casting him. Yeah. And the note that he gave Jack Black the most during production was just bring it down a little bit in your eyes. (laughs) (laughs) So the very thing he wanted, Jack was still almost overdoing it, right? Like, so he'd bring him down to, instead of crazy town, he'd bring him down into normal insane eyes, (laughs) not crazy town insane eyes. And I don't know, for me, it works. I'm fine with Jack Black in this film. I I like, I like Jack Black's performance in this. There's, it's interesting to me when you see a comedian turn do a dramatic turn because honestly i don't know you might agree with me on this being a a, especially a theater actor yourself is that comedy is harder than drama in the in the big picture things to make someone laugh is more difficult than to move them dramatically uh and anybody can make a sad face yeah and i appreciate jack black's uh performance in this there's uh like the when you when you meet him I love it's obviously written and directed this way, but the Jack Black watching the people watch his movies is exactly yep. how I watch people watch my movies, where I'm just like looking out of the corner of my eye, like, is this good? Do you, oh my yeah. God. They're, they're I not mean, reacting. they literally introduce him by him using his eyes. So I'm fine with the crazy eyes. I really yeah. am. And I will say, like, he, he never has to like cry. He never does have to like really pour his heart out. So I think it's okay. Like, mm-hmm. the script doesn't require that. And the few times where it does, it doesn't quite play. That final line doesn't quite play for me. Oh, no, Once no. in a while. <laughs> when he when he delivers we, that last line, I'm like, you hard. shut up, Denim. You do not get to wax poetic after you're responsible for all of the deaths in this movie because it's his fault. <laughs> I know. But but anyway, so you're still talking about um, Jack Black's characterization. Oh, yeah. The, uh, I love the scene because he, because he has this great timing. His ability of timing is really good. There's the scene where he recruits Anne to be a part of the film. That whole diner scene mm-hmm. is a wonderful character, character scene. It's, it's very, mm-hmm. it's shot reverse. So it's not a very compellingly shot film, uh, scene, but the performance and how it's written is so great. I love that. He's imagine you're off to Singapore, you're on a boat and you meet a guy and then she turns the story on him and hit suddenly he's not selling anymore. He's buying. He's like, really? Yep. Then what, then yeah. what happens? And, and you get to see Anne and dream. And how he's so right to instantly look at her and see this is, you know, he, he's a con man. And he looked at her and he's like, she'll fit in the dress. But there was something more about her and she proves it in you know, that scene. I agree. And at the same time, now this might be a bit of a stretch, but I get the idea that he may not even be a bad director. He may not no, be like no. a... Like, like he has that instinct where he can look at someone and know, or he knows what'll work and what won't work. Maybe he's not a great guy all the time. Maybe he's got a little bit of that Hollywood in him, you know, of, of uh, we'll share the rights with the whatever, and then screw the guy later or whatever that kind well, of stuff. Y- but yeah, he is, he is, he is a competent filmmaker. He, they even say it like he's made some really good stuff, but he's just mm-hmm. out of his mind. And it's that's a theme of this film is and to go all the way back to man's hubris, right? He is this. Yeah. He is so determined to get what he wants, and that's what makes him a villain. It's that it's that greed, that lust right. that he has to fulfill his vision, and you know perhaps that is a is a remark on the Hollywood system. Perhaps that's even a remark on Peter Jackson himself, because uh, uh, Denham loves his film so much that he's willing to say like he's willing to make some he's willing to he loves it to the point of killing it right because that's what he does he 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 doesn't know when to stop and he even having kong up on the stage and going too far it 
He he goes from loving it so much that he starts harming it. And one yeah. could say that that's the problem with what Peter Jackson makes as a filmmaker is that he doesn't know how to let go. Um, I would I would posit that. Yeah, I would uh, I would go along with that. Absolutely. I don't know if Jackson was consciously make, you know, making that comment about himself, but I can see the inspiration in the direction. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that's, and again, I love, I love Peter Jackson, so I'm not, I'm not uh, bashing him. I'm a, all things considered, I'm a very big fan of Peter Jackson. All things considered, I am. Yeah. Um, I, but... I definitely like the reason I'm such a big fan of him is I think, so he and Spielberg are best friends right now with their whole Tintin thing and the mm. other movies that they're producing together, which I think is wonderful. Yeah. And I want to I'd like I'd love to start talking about the T-Rex scene in a bit here, if you wouldn't mind. Oh, certainly. Yeah, let's um, get unless into there's it. some things you still want to discuss. OK, cool. Um, because what I'd like to talk about right now, if that's OK with you, is I'd like to discuss Peter Jackson and his absolutely masterful crafting ability to create Spielberg-esque scenes. There you is know what a, I mean? There is elements of Temple of Doom to this whole film. Like the bugs, uh, yeah, I see the that. blonde, I see and that. the white dress. There's, there's certainly some, some uh, Spielberg s homages here, whether it's deliberate or not. But uh, please continue his his mastery well, there are of times, crafting. Yeah. And I haven't really thought this through. I have a couple notes just by being really moved by that V Rex scene. Again, you know, seeing it now for the fourth time, I was very moved watching it again, and and was really in love with every cut, every shot, every reveal, every pan, every move. And my favorite thing is that throughout that throughout that entire scene I was never once disoriented with where the camera was with where exactly every single T-Rex was where exactly Anne Darrow was where exactly Kong was exactly how high up on the mountain they were everything that was going I was with it the entire time and that's something that usually is you know Spielberg's jam like he's yeah. really good at letting you know where everything happens in a scene yeah you don't get lost you don't you do not you don't get, get lost, lost. yeah once in a while in a Jackson scene, you'll get a little lost because it might be just too many. I remember a couple times in Lord of the Rings, it just turns into shots of axes and, and orcs and things like that. Mm-hmm. But I think that this T-Rex scene is just a perfect, I think it's a perfect example of like a scene that's really well edited. So let's let's talk about this V-Rex scene. So um, I will say that when I, when I, I had just kind of gotten out of film school when this movie was released, 2005. Well, I guess yeah. I had been out of school for about four years, but nevertheless... Um, I had seen the original King Kong before film school mm-hmm. and I watched it after post film, my years in film school, but before seeing this movie again, as a, as a refresher, <laughs> as a refresher. Right. And I'd always been familiar with the T-Rex scene in the original. So I was very excited for the, t- I'm going to just call them T-Rexes. I don't care. All right. That's fine. <laughs> we all know I it's a very... V-Rex. So yeah. no one, no one at him. I don't know. I really feel like that was just to like sell toys. I'm not so sure. But anyway, <laughs> Um, that's actually why, by the way, side note, that's why the whole, uh, the crazy dinosaur in Jurassic World one, mm-hmm. what's that Indominus thing called? The Raptor Indom- Indominus. Yeah. That was a whole thing. They needed to create a new dinosaur for toys because you have to buy rights. You can't name things dinosaur names. It's a different, it's a licensing issue for toys. But anyway, that's it's really frustrating. Well, apparently when Jurassic World was getting written, that's the whole idea of the characters not liking the mutant dinosaur was actually a parallel for this film and the film studio needing to come up with a new dinosaur for the toys. And that was their writers, the writers way to express that. I don't know if it landed in that film, but that's a different show. So, um, (laughs) so this V-Rex scene, we all went into it. I did not know there were going to be three dinosaurs. Yeah. Because you just saw the you saw the shot for the, like that shot from the trailer where it's just face to face. 
That's all you we saw. We saw him down in that ravine, yeah. And that was yeah, actually yeah. a large part of the marketing campaign. A lot of times it was silhouette T-Rex, silhouette Kong, and in the middle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've been, I feel like I kind of have been going for a while here. Can I ask you about your thoughts of that scene? Because I have plenty to say. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, I had already mentioned earlier that uh, Jackson is this master of tension. And the the fight itself is really dynamic. Um, but when they start falling through the vines, right? That yeah. segment, there, there's a moment where I'm, I'm watching it. I'm really engaged. I'm really engrossed in it. And at a moment where I went, well, I know they're going to be fine. I know that Anne's going to survive. I know that Kong's going to survive. Why am I so engaged in this? And this is all, this all rapid fire flew through my head. And this is on your rewatch right now for this one. Yeah. Just, just, just watching it last night. And when, once I had that thought, I let it pass because I realized just how well it was, it was being presented anyway. Even, even though the, the rational minded person that I can I I can step back and go well they're going to survive they're the two main characters I was able mm-hmm. to write that off because all the beats and it's when when the t- when the T-Rex is swinging to take a bite at yeah. Anne and she slips through the vines and then Kong reaches up and yanks the one down and and that whole segment is so neat because because of the the tension in the beats is so well paced so this whole fight is broken up into like three acts. The The fight itself is a short film. It really yeah, is. And yeah. I mean, I'm sorry that I'm gushing about it, but this I just think that this scene needs to be observed in like film school classes and everything yeah. else for, no, for a very particular reason. Not as the best scene ever made, but for a very particular reason. I think there's some Spielberg scenes that line up in a similar space. So this scene is a three act film. We are introduced. We meet one dinosaur in a mm-hmm. very masterfully done way a very clever way we've just had this little run-in with the two little lizard guys mm-hmm. and trying to survive them so the audience we're not we're not like hearing the stomp 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 of the t-rex coming we think mm-hmm. that's the scene we get the little guy he gets pulled out okay we see his, you know ants in the in the log in the with the bugs but the big, big bad lizard gets pulled out and, and if you look carefully he's pulled up and then we see yes. another lizard in the background look up and run away. Well, Whee! so all of a sudden, it's again, it's these horror elements. It's we're not seeing the monster yet. We're seeing the the, the implications or the ramifications of this monster, right? Mm-hmm. We don't right, know what right, it right. is yet. And this is still kind of in an action scene. It's not even a high tension scene yet. It's not smoky and there's not like noises or anything like that. It's like we're still in an action scene. So finally, she so the bugs make her climb out and we look up. The camera stays on her. It starts to zoom up and out of focus behind her. We see the little lizard and we're like, oh, it's still just the little lizard. But you look Mm -hmm. closely and it's very obvious that it's hanging down. It's pointing down and you see a leg and you're like, wait, is that the lizard leg? The camera starts (laughs) to pull out and you realize that that it's a bigger fish, right? Yeah. And it's this big old T-Rex with that thing in its mouth. Well, that gets really interesting. She starts to run away from it. He chomps that thing. And so it's a really great introduction. You're like, all right, I guess here comes the T-Rex fight. I'm very excited for this. Um, She evades him and him, her, it, and hides in another log. Mm-hmm. And Next to it. Yep, yep. we weren't expecting that. We weren't. I, I was expecting, okay, here we go. We're going to have the, the Kong T-Rex fight. We have a moment to rest. Unbreaking. The shot cranes down just barely. We start to see another log. It becomes very clear that that is not another log. That it's the <laughs> yeah. nose. It's the brow of a dinosaur. And mm-hmm. 
I mean, all of these reveals, they're all in-camera reveals. Well, not in-camera, but they're in-shot reveals because they're digital dinosaurs. But um, right, right, right. It's not, they're not done with cuts or jump scares or editing. They're done with, fit, like, well, editing is filmmaking, but they're done with camera movement and, and with lenses. And it's just wonderful how they introduce these characters. And then the one dinosaur tries to eat Anne. It's trying to chomp up on her on the log. It's obviously very smart how she's like hidden down in that log. The thing can't physically get up. Her scream triggers Kong. Kong comes to face that dinosaur that was about to eat her. As an audience, if you're familiar with the original, you say, okay, here we go. Here's the fight. This is going to happen now. Even if you're not familiar with the original, you're like, okay, I guess Kong's going to fight this dinosaur. Well, Within within the narrative or within the, the universe that's been built, we know that other dinosaurs still nearby. So he comes back pretty quickly. And then the mm-hmm. real surprise, a third jumps over. And I remember thinking to myself, like, what <laughs> is going on right now? We've got three dinosaurs? How? And I said, well, I guess they had to amp it up. Now, I'm not going to retell the rest of all these scenes, but I do want to make a comment here. So often, it's about plus one You know, you add another thing. Oh, we got to ramp it up. Let's add another thing. You know, the... Uh, the Night of the Living Dead remake. Oh, we had one zombie in the cemetery scene. Let's put two zombies in the cemetery scene. You know, that's exactly what happened like in the 90s. And that's not necessarily a bad choice, but usually it's about ramping up. This was a situation where we actually ramped up and then ramped. Well, they introduced the most intense thing in the beginning and we ramped down. He slowly gets rid of these dinosaurs as he goes. Yeah, he, he picks them off. Oh, man. He picks them final, off. And the so final it kill is so, so... Shouldn't it be... Here's a scene where... God, shouldn't it be... But like... We'll say, oh, I want to talk about the jaw. But shouldn't it be... Oh, you know, well, he fights one T-Rex. How will he ever get out of there? Oh, my gosh, another one. Ten minutes later. Oh, my gosh, another one. No. It's, it's the opposite of an action scene. He's getting rid of them as we go which means there should be technically less action. But what's happening is it's becoming more intimate. And so that, so that intensity, that scene, it becomes a scene. It becomes a scene, not a fight scene. I, I, I'm sorry about this. I'm sorry. I'm kind of no, no, no. gushing you're, you're, here. You're going back to that, what I credited. It's, the, it's showing, not telling, because there's no dialogue in this entire scene. But you understand yeah. the emotions. You understand the stakes. Uh, he, he, the, the best moment that says everything about Anne as a character is where she's standing between the two of them and she just slowly backs up to be protected by Kong. So that's at the top of the third act of this fight. So you're absolutely right. We have the big, huge bombastic music. We have three T-Rexes. He's kind of taking care of them. He's holding Anne the whole time. Then we transition into them falling off the cliff into the vine scene that you were talking about. Mm -hmm. That's I would call that the second act of this main scene. And at that point, the second they fall into the vines, the music cuts out. It's only sound effects. And as an audience member, again, you're surprised. You're going like, wait, I wasn't, wait, it just got, it's quiet now. It feels real. It felt like, oh, that was the big, act one was the big movie moment. Yeah. Now we're down to two dinosaurs. And this is weird. I've never seen things in vines like this or whatever. And it's quiet. And you can track Kong's struggle. You can track the geography of all these characters. There's, I mean, there are some moments in this second act that are downright friggin' ridiculous. Like, (laughs) and jumping and falling and grabbing teeth and stuff. And because it's an adventure film, you're going with it. But because it's so trackable, you can follow the puzzle the whole time you go with it as an audience member. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's quiet, it's quiet, it's quiet, it's quiet, it's quiet, it's quiet. There's the awesome stuff with Anne. There's the there's the whole physics puzzle of the dinosaur and Anne trying to get to her. Swinging Kong back and to get forth, back I'm going to get you. 
And it's interesting, too, because in the original, basically Kong puts her in a tree and then fights a dinosaur and then picks her back up. Mm -hmm. That's kind of all that happens. And she just screams because, well, I guess this big, huge ape monster won't kill me while it kills the dinosaur. But then it's going to grab me again. Yeah, that's that's to break away from the fight for just a moment. It's how proactive Anne is as a character in this whole film. She's I mentioned it earlier. She's not just this damsel in distress that classic Kong has always pigeonholed their female leads. She is she's the lead. She's the protagonist. And she's a very active participant in nearly every piece of action in this entire film. And and yes, like technically, if we want to get really technical about this, that girl should be getting twenty concussions during this. But all things <laughs> whiplash, considered, whiplash. I, logic... I want to know. I want to know is 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 a, a barefoot the whole time running protagonist better or worse than running uh, away from dinosaurs in heels? Because she's just <laughs> foot stomping, running her ass off barefoot. It's true. She never runs that fast, but you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. She's barefoot the whole time. So, I mean, but the point is, even if we kind of look past that, she should probably have eight concussions. I don't think they ever truly fake her injuries. You know, sometimes like someone can get someone will get stabbed for the sake in a in a different film. Someone will get stabbed, but because they need them to be okay, five minutes later they put a band aid on that stab, and then that character keeps fine. going. In a lesser film, right? And and certainly with man, the guys, I get a canker sore and I'm out for the day. I, I bite my tongue and I'm like, <laughs> I can't talk for the rest of the day. I just no one look at me. <laughs> so, pardon me, I was drinking water because I've got a bit of a cough right now, and um, uh, so but all, all with all that said, even in the vines, so he does kind of symbolically put her in a tree by accident uh, by having her be separated from him in the vines but in this version it's dynamic there's a re- Kong has to get back we want Kong to get back to her he's saving her she probably wants Kong around her she's left without him whereas in the original you know she's still hiding from the other bigger monster then he finally takes care of another dinosaur one of the dinosaurs falls to the ground at the bottom of this big huge lake filled ravine or whatever and also falls the music starts. To, we had no music for the entire second act of this scene. The third act starts to begin. Big dinosaur. What you know? Finally, we're down to one big dino. Anne hits the ground, and Kong hits the ground. And is in. Anne is in the middle between Kong and the dinosaur. The music yep. starts to swell. It comes back just a little bit. Yep, just a yep. little bit. And then the beautiful moment that you talked about. Anne chooses to go underneath Kong because she's looking at the dinosaur. She's looking at Kong. <laughs> And she's realizing her chances are better with Kong. But I think it's even more than that. I don't think she's just like, in this moment, I'll survive. I think she is understanding through this entire... Because he's holding her, which did not happen in the original. Because he's holding her and and physically protecting this this baby thing in his hand. Mm -hmm. This beautiful whatever it is to him. This friend. She feels that throughout the entire fight. She goes underneath him. And then the music hits and now we have our homage to the original this entire yeah. final part is almost <laughs> shot for shot certainly move for move like the original all the way down to kong crushing the t-rex's head and playing oh. with its jaw afterwards which is <laughs> so i did see this in 2005 with some film school friends and we did not talk about it beforehand but when that happened we applauded oh man <laughs> in the theater we were so excited to see him play with that jaw and we were so pleased that Jackson so so exactly referenced that it was beautiful. Recreated that 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 final kill where he snaps the jaw and then pushes the top of the skull mm-hmm. into I the crush. rest. Of, oh, it's true. It's so... and, 
And that mm. happens in the original. It does. It's hard to see. It's hard to watch. <laughs> but there's not too much blood. It's not too bad. No, no, no. It's not gory for the sake of gory. It's it's just very brutal and mm-hmm. and a very it's it's one of those it's one of those like the reaction I can I feel like I have when I see that is oh oh yeah. <laughs> I know. But it's never and it's it's interesting because it's not very rarely I think there's a lot of violence in this film. There's a lot of adventure violence, we'll call it, in this film. Yes. Yeah. But I don't, in my opinion, very rarely, if ever, is the violence celebrated in this film, which I like a lot. I like that that even if we're in a heightened universe, the, the violence is fairly respected. It's mm-hmm. um, shot fairly uh, tastefully. You know, I mean, I really feel that that's important. Certainly, the, if uh, you said you did not see the newest one with Sam Jackson and Tim Tom Hiddleston, so did you I see that probably one? I probably will eventually. It's technically okay. the only Kong I haven't seen. The reason I didn't see it is I will confess I was boycotting it a little bit because I know that it's just a device for a connected universe, which makes me less than interested in it, to be honest. Yeah, it's the so to look at the violence, um, the violence in Kong Skull Island. Though there are some really uh, um, engaging and 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 amazing shots cinematically, it's very glorifying of the violence, and it's supposed yeah. to be this commentary on Vietnam, and and I suppose it does hit that at, at a point, uh, at certain points in the mil- film. Mm-hmm. But with King Kong, Peter Jackson's King Kong, even like the gunfire is there's nothing glorified about the heroic gunfire, right? It's not it's not heroic. It's just survival. The gun, right. the gunfire itself, even the sound design on it. There's nothing gratuitous about it. It's just pop, 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 pop. Very pop, rarely right? do you have a character like saying a one-liner and like, ru- like, like rage charging into something um, mm-hmm. just to be cool. Like yeah. sometimes they'll do that, but it's out of desperation, and it's for it's even though we're in a slightly heightened universe, it's it, it's consistent in that universe, in my opinion, and I really yeah. appreciate that. Yeah, I, I, there. This movie, and we can kind of wrap this up as we're as we're kind of getting near the end here. But overall, sure. this movie is so much more thoughtful and sincere. It does have those those kind of tongue in cheek one liners of adventure films. Uh, one of my favorite lines that um, Denim gives, uh, that Jack Black gives to Adrian Brody, is when he wants to get off the boat and he does that whole "Oh, I'm screwing up writing the check" bit, <laughs> sure, which sure. is very entertaining. And he gets to the end and. Uh, Adrian Brody's like theater. I love theater, and Denim goes, "Nah, you don't love theater, because if you really loved it, you would have jumped." And like that's that's a <laughs> that's great right, line. I forgot about that. That's a really great line, and and mm-hmm. it's so matter of fact. Like Denim is just like, "Nah, you don't love it. You would have jumped." <laughs> you know, it's there's something about Peter Jackson films, uh, most of them, and certainly I think it's, in my opinion, it's a, it's it's exemplified many times, but it's most exemplified in that T Rex fight. Where, um, like he, he he does have his own style, but I would you know so, okay here's here's what I'm trying to say I'm trying to I'm, I'm trying to put this into words I don't actually have too many issues with J.J. Abrams I think it's fine I think he has good times and bad times Mr. Abrams but um, ultimately I, I'm not particularly offended by him and there's plenty of his films that I have enjoyed so with that said though a lot of times he's kind of touted as being like the next Spielberg or, Oh, he, he, he shoots just like Spielberg. He shoots his films just like Spielberg did. And not that Spielberg is the end all be all. There's a lot of really good filmmakers out there. (laughs) And Spielberg certainly has plenty of misses himself. However, I would argue that I actually think Jackson is more of a Spielbergian filmmaker than Abrams is. If you like Abrams, 
he might light his films sans lens flares. He might light his films <laughs> similar to, to Spielberg. He might like, oh, we need a, sh-, you know, like I can't help but think about um, uh, Super 8. You know what I mean? Which actually, uh, oh, yeah. what's his name in that one as well? The, Ron Livingston. <laughs> the Grey's Anatomy guy. Um, the bomb episode guy, whatever. What is it? Ron Livingston. So, um, you know, a- Abrams, he's like, okay, well, we got to put some kids on some bikes and we got to give them flashlights and the lights will shoot into the camera. And, 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 you know, he can do like a good Spielberg impression in my opinion. And that's fine. Yes. But if you look at like this T-Rex scene and other things that Jackson does, even stuff in Lord of the Rings, Jackson composes a scene and uses shots, the language of shot to shot to shot more like Spielberg does than Abrams, in my opinion. And I think that that's shown in this film many times. He lights it differently. He sometimes will use different lenses. He might even use different frame rates. But the truth is, I actually think he's more of a Spielbergian filmmaker than Abrams is, I got to say. Yeah. Uh, and you 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 aren't wrong to credit Spielberg as the prototype of modern cinema because he is. Uh, uh, Hitchcock before him, maybe DeMille uh, before him. But uh uh, when you look at cinema, the film, the actual cinematic filmmaking, as opposed yeah. to the digital filmmaking we get now for the majority of things, uh, Spielberg is the prototype. He moved the camera. He took everything that had worked before, and he took it to a place that is still being used to this day. And there are only a handful of directors that film at the level that 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 make films at that level. Peter right. Jackson is one of them. I I do think J.J. Abrams is he's he's lesser, but I I like J.J. Abrams. I think I do too. I, I hate Star Trek Into Darkness, but I can appreciate J.J. Abrams, JJ's ability yeah. to make cinematic experiences. Christopher Nolan is certainly yep. the example of of a cinematic film director because I I've said this before on the show if you've listened a long time. And David, I don't know if you've ever heard me say this, but oftentimes when it comes down to a f- to seeing a film in the theaters, I have to ask myself, why do I need to see this in a movie theater? Sure. And it's it's a scene like the the V Rex fight mm-hmm. that answers that question. It's the scene on top of the Empire State Building where you are watching this epic final showdown, but but particularly that that T Rex scene. That's why you see movies on the big screen. Because you will not get the full experience that a director intended unless you see it big and loud <laughs> when, with the surround sound. When your eyes need to use their muscles to look left and right to take <laughs> in the whole screen, that's a, yeah. that's a nice experience. You're you're doing it right. Um, and and Peter Jackson certainly he has a as of this recording he has a new movie coming out where um, oh shoot I can't remember the name of it but it's the the moving yeah, cities it's, the, it's <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, he tabled um, Tintin for a little bit here. I'm not sure why. But OK, well, let me say this. Um, then like I, I, actually, I actually enjoy Abrams as well. But, you know, Abrams is often like the, the headline is always like Abrams, the next Spielberg. And mm-hmm. um, that's cool. But honestly, I can see why Spielberg is the one with four or five projects lined up with Jackson right now. And 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 they they did announce the next Tintin, uh, Prisoner of the Sun. And I hope Prisoners mm-hmm. of the Sun. And I really like that first one. Um, but I grew up reading Tintin, so sure. I enjoyed <laughs> the first a, one a as little well. biased. Yeah, and actually, there's a little just to say one thing about Tintin. There's a little bit if you read between the lines. There was a quote that I am misquoting right now from Spielberg or something in an interview. He basically alluded. He said something like, "Well, with Tintin, it doesn't matter if your actors age because we can just keep mocap. You know, we'll use the same actors, but it's okay mm. if they're 
10 years older in their face because they're digital. And also, and I remember when I like basically, I'm obviously paraphrasing, poorly paraphrasing that quote. But when <laughs> I read that, I remember thinking like, oh, no, you might be careful, Mr. Spielberg. Like, that might be a bit of an excuse. Like, ah, we'll do Tintin in three years. Ah, we'll do it in mm-hmm. five years. Hey. You, know, whereas, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I, uh, I, I am not a fan of uh, Robert Zemeckis' mocap films like Beowulf, Polar Express, uh, um, Christmas Carol, and Mars I Needs Moms. would say those that I also are, have a hard time with them. Those movies are awful. <laughs> like, they're mm-hmm. just, the, there's nothing, this this is, to go back to the directors, like the, how yeah. it's not a one-to-one ratio if you just do do what another director does. Right. Because those Zemeckis, I love Zemeckis. I have two Zemeckis posters hanging in my in my office room right now. Uh, what and, is it? So one of them's got to be Back to the Future. I'm trying to think yeah, of what the other one might be. Well, I mean, um, it's just, I'll, I'll save you the trouble. It's Back to the Future too. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Um, but he his mocap movies are there's there's nothing particular important about making them motion capture, right? The gimmick doesn't sell. It's like. Why, yeah. why do it as a motion capture movie? Those four films could be made perfectly fine as no, you're absolutely uh, right. live action films. Whereas Tintin, there's a stylistic choice in essentially making the most realistic version of the illustrations. Right. And to, to speak of, 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 of Jackson and Spielberg putting something on screen that you need to see big, there's the oneer at the top of the mountain city. Ugh. So where yes. Tintin, that whole scene beautiful. is it's beautiful. unbelievable. If I if I can do a quick plug for Every Frame of Painting, um, the YouTube channel Every Frame of Painting, which I enjoy is that this, channel very much. Yep, yeah, there's a there's an episode about the Spielberg Warner. Yep. that that uh, talks about how Spielberg utilizes the un, uncut uh, scenes, and that's he puts stuff up on the big screen that you have to see big. Hell, I'm gonna just keep going on a Spielberg tear here. Do it. Um, uh, uh, um, Bridge of Spies. Did you see Bridge of Spies? Nope, but I'm very excited okay. for the post as well. But anyway, so so Bridge of Spies is a is a courtroom drama, Cold War courtroom drama. In a sense, it's a it's not exactly a courtroom drama, but it's a legal. Uh, it feels like a legal drama. However, sure. there's a there's a an, a crash sequence in that movie that is just breathtaking, and it's Spielberg just top that whole movie itself. Take it or leave it, but yeah. just the 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 sequence of the plane crash is like this is cinema. <laughs> Man, I got to check that one out now. You know, it's yeah. funny. Like with the, I've, I think I've only seen one of the four now five Tom Hanks Spielberg uh, collaborations, and I think it was <laughs> Catch Me If You Can. I did not see the Terminal or Bridge of Spies or the Post, and there was one more in there somewhere. I can't remember, but anyway. Uh, well, I I don't know if post the post will r- achieve my rule of like is this meant to be seen on the big screen? Um, but let's wouldn't that let's, be int- yeah yeah we got to well, reel it back in so Jackson let's reel back in. do uh how do you do you feel like this is a movie that people should watch? Do you recommend King Kong? And if you do, who do you re- recommend it to? I do. I would one hundred percent recommend this to any film student, hands down, no matter what. It must be seen for its. Um, for its successes and its failures. I don't think mm-hmm. it's a lesson learned. I think it's mostly a success. Um, I think some of these scenes need to be examined, and that's awesome. Um, yeah. 
I had an experience when I watched this a few years ago with a couple friends, and they were good people, good, smart people. They weren't jerks or idiots or anything. And when that apatosaur scene came along, they were kind of like, this looks so fake. And they were kind of emotionally out <laughs> at that point. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, yeah. So would I recommend it to anybody? I don't know. Yeah, I, uh, for myself, I don't – this is not a movie I would recommend to anyone. Uh, my Kind of my barometer right now for how I recommend movies is my nephew, who's now 18 – Mm-hmm. Um, uh, over the years, I've I've let him. He developed his taste early. He loved the prequels for Star Wars, and as he got a little bit older, I was like, "Okay, cool. This is the Back to the Future trilogy. This is uh, Lord yes. of the Rings." And cool. I've and um, he's a big fan of the Marvel movies, like pretty much everyone is. Um, but I like recommending films to him to get his reaction, but then also hearing how he feels about films I didn't recommend to him. Like, he's like, oh, I'm going to go see the new Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, um, which was, what, last summer. Uh, yep. And then have him come back and I'm like, okay, so what would you think of it? Or what would you think of Justice League? Tell me. Because I didn't recommend it to you. I want to know what you thought. Right. And it's and it's interesting to see where his tastes are going. And that being said, I don't – I King Kong's not a movie I would recommend to him because it's much more of – it's a more mature film – and it's more of a cinephile's film. It's more of yeah, a... Yeah, I think it probably is. Yeah, and uh, and I don't feel like this is this is the type of movie that I could recommend to him that would move him at this point in time. Maybe when he gets right. a little bit older, uh, I could say if he if his tastes go a certain direction, I could be like, sure. oh, check this one out. But he's not a cinephile like I am. I mean, I think for me, this film might be in i don't i don't have an official list but it might be in my top 10 kind of favorite films of all time honestly oh wow. and okay. for certain reasons for certain reasons because i think there's so much of this film that works so well and there's another there's one final little technicality i'd like to talk about and it's not gonna be a big old rant or anything but sometimes when like we lately we've been having a lot of action blockbusters and there'll be a critique of them that'll say like oh it was just like a B movie, just with a bunch of money. And it's often said as if like, that's a good thing. Right. 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 And I don't know. Sometimes that's true, but sometimes I have a big problem with that because a lot of times it's more like, well, no, that's just, you got to be careful when you're making a quote unquote B movie because B movies were bad, were bad. Like, yeah, you know, like they, they weren't made to be good movies. They were made to shock and titillate and all those things. And there's nothing wrong with that as an examination on cinema and having it be a genre in cinema. That's okay. Denim even says it in the movie. Denim even says, uh, boobies and, and monsters. That's for, that's for B movies. Fair enough. You're absolutely right. This movie, (laughs) in my opinion, doesn't become a B movie. It does exist in a heightened universe a little bit. You know, Mm -hmm. 20 people can get thrown against a rock and survive. You know, that never happens, but you see where I'm going with this. Right. But I think that this movie is a love letter to cinema. I think it's a love letter to King Kong. I think, I think that it is an integral, much like Jurassic Park one. I think it's a a bookmark in history for the future of digital sit, sin, sin, the future of digital (laughs) filmmaking. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I think for those reasons, it's an important film, and 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 I have never not enjoyed watching it yet. And at the end of the day, the reason I enjoy watching it so much, and I'm happy to know that I enjoyed it again watching it this time for this show, is at the end of the day, truthfully, yes, yes, I can enjoy the editing and the shot to shot. You know, some of these scenes are really well made. The foley in this film is really, really interesting and nice. Mm-hmm. But um, at the end of the day, it's really that it's Kong's performance and his relationship with Anne. It's it's two this is a stretch but it's two people in a coffee shop on a date 
<laughs> there you uh I, I agree with you on a lot of that. Um that I do recommend this to to a particular uh film lover that it is this love letter to to uh cinema, um, to King Kong himself. And they're they're uh Naomi Watts and Andy Circus's performance is the is nearly the entire reason to watch this film is to watch those two uh, just exist on screen. And it's an amazing because I jokingly said how much of this is her just staring. Right. But there's something so compelling about her as well as this. Yep. It's very compelling to see that digitally represented King Kong staring okay. as well. Oh, I was just going to say, I was just going to say, I was yeah. going to offer it back. This Maybe this is the first time a CG character could just stare and we knew what was going on in its head. It, yeah. It's beautiful. Oh, it really is. It's certainly um, and, and, uh, as far as, uh, if, if I were to make a recommendation, if, if you want to ease yourself into watching King Kong, you need to fall in love with Peter Jackson first. And the best way to do that is to watch his, I'd say you, Lord of the Rings is maybe not the most successful. Lord of the Rings I is think, long. Which one are you going to recommend? I wonder. I, I would say start with Frighteners. Okay. Uh, to wow. get a, to sure. get a taste, to get a taste of, cause that's a very simple, small movie. You have Michael J. Fox. You it's can't, fine. can't really ever go wrong with him. It was uh, fun to got... see him again. That was produced by Zemeckis, by the way. It was a real weird, because yeah. <laughs> yeah. like at that time, at that time, Spielberg was still kind of having Zemeckis under his wing, and then Z- mm-hmm. then they all kind of found Jackson together. So then Zemeckis was like, okay, I'll produce Frighteners. Jackson right. got his like first break. There's a whole weird chain there. <laughs> that's that's a fraternity, right? Maybe. Um, but yeah, I recommend Frighteners. Give that a t- that's that's that would definitely be a movie for a rewatch down the road. Um, but if you can get into Frighteners and, and appreciate Jackson's quirky style in yeah. in his humor and and the darkness that he likes to play in then go into lord of the rings and experience one of his epics mm-hmm. and then that'll that's an easy transition if you can get through his library that way from frighteners yeah. to the lord of the rings even if you even if you just watch fellowship of the ring get oh, it then you can go into amazing. king Kong. i was literally just gonna i was like when he's done talking i'm gonna say maybe just fellowship <laughs> Yeah, e- I'm even glad if we it's agree just on this. Fellowship. Yeah, <laughs> I agree with everything uh, you're saying right now. Yeah. Um. So yeah, uh, I have one little. This is a weird, random thing that happened in watching this movie. Sure. So Ron Livingston is in King Kong. He plays uh, Baxter, the the yep. heroic male lead. Right. Mm-hmm. The song playing during the credits is "Bye Bye Blackbird," which is this okay. Uh, classic. Okay. The night before. I watched an episode of Bloodlines, which stars Ron Livingston, Indeed which it had that it had that song in it. <laughs> Did it? I w- I've seen every episode of Bloodline. Which one had that? Song? It's he is in a car. He is. It's the beginning of season three. He's picked okay. up as a hitchhiker. Uh, this yep, yep, older yep. black woman picks him up, and she yep. play. She's playing it on the radio and sings it to him. Bye bye, Blackbird. I see. Have you? Well, that's kind of cool. That's a cool little. It was little such connection. a strange. I was like, once the song started playing, I was like, what the hell? Less than 24 hours ago, I saw I was listening to this song on something else Ron Livingston was in. It's just this one... weird, like, weird thing. <laughs> Bloodlines was, season one and two was very interesting. I'll give you one critique on season three. They originally thought it was going to be six seasons long. That's all I have to say about season three. Oh, no. Is this going to end with a cliffhanger? Is this going to, oh. Well, it's intuitively obvious that season three was like four seasons of storyline condensed. Let's just put it that okay. way. It was right. too bad. It was too bad. <laughs> but anyway. Well. Very beautiful show. If I can go give a quick plug, for season that one show. and two were very interesting. Yeah, I mean, like cinematography. The yeah, cinematography right. on that show is. They gorgeous. shot it all down in Florida for realsies. Yeah, 
So anyhow, All right, let's, uh, do let's this. wrap it we up here. Th- th- this was this was great. Um, I was glad to finally get you on an episode. Would you like to come back again sometime? Yeah, I'd love to. Please have okay, me on cool. again I- as soon as possible. Yeah. Uh, well, why don't you do a quick plug for anything that you want to throw out there for the listeners where they yeah, can absolutely. find you? Um, I'll plug two things. I have a, I have an ongoing show that I've been producing. We are starting season 10 in two weeks. It's called the Technophiles Podcast. And uh, this year, the format's going to change up a little bit. I, it used to be four people sitting around a table in real life, like not, you know, not Skyping like this, but uh, or whatever, you know, whatever technology that we would prefer at the time. Um, and we would talk about science and technology, things that were happening that week. We would discuss. Um, it wasn't really a show about I say wasn't as past tense just because we're the format's going to change a little bit here in season 10. But it's the Tech Files podcast, and uh, you can find us at techfilespodcast.com. We're on iTunes, Google Play. This coming season, half my cast moved all over the country, so I think I'm going to change the format up. <laughs> Instead of four people sitting around a table, I think it's going to be maybe similar to this show, this episode here, TC, where it's going to be I'll host it, and then I'm going to have my cast members one by one be on the show, and we'll talk about something each episode. And then I'll rotate that cast of four or five people through every couple episodes. So I think that's going to be interesting. It'll be a little bit of an experiment. The format will change, but I think it's going to be great. And uh, you can tweet us at Technophiles Pod if you want to get more information on that. And then real quick, I'm very excited about this. Um, we're only two or three episodes in, but I have a side podcast that I'm doing called Another mm-hmm. Zelda Podcast, and it only has just begun. Well, we're about two, three episodes in. I'm recording it with a gal uh, up in Milwaukee. She and I were in a play together. And before... When we'd be in our costumes before, you know, the curtain would go up, so to speak, we were accidentally always talking about Zelda and she would talk about, (laughs) oh, Ocarina of Time or or Breath of the Wild this. And it became a thing. And then finally, one day she brought a book into the dressing room and it was a Hyrule Historia. And she was like, look, here's my book on blah, blah, blah. And like a little, (laughs) I got to say, a little light went off in my head. And I was like, can can we please start a Zelda podcast? Let's just put microphones in front of ourselves. And I mean, that's how the rewatchment started with Ben. It was like, we always talked about movies. It's like, why don't we just put a microphone between us and record this? (laughs) So we have this show that it's, it's in its infancy. I'd love your support. It's called another Zelda podcast. We do review the games, but more importantly, we're trying to do things like, uh, what's the historical narrative of the Zoras in timeline through the whole game. Or, uh, we're doing a, we just did a forest temple episode where we just analyze all the forest dungeons and all the different games and talk about their differences and similarities. Um, it's all over the place. We we have an episode planned where we're going to be critiquing all the music of the Zelda series. We're going to have a very special oh, guest on for it. that episode, and so it's been a lot of fun. It's a light, you know, it's a light show, but if you enjoy mm-hmm. Zelda at all, I highly recommend it. Another Zelda podcast, um, and the... you can find us at anotherzeldapodcast.com and on iTunes and Google Play and all the normal stuff. Will the most difficult episode be the Water Temple episode? So we're yeah, right. So the most difficult to produce. We'll have to structure it non-linear. We'll structure the episode oh, non-linear and God. make people. It'll be horrible. Any, but any Zelda nerds out there know the Water Temple is the worst. Every so time. So believe me, when we were Kate Fisher is the gal's name that I'm doing this with, and we were putting our list together of our first like what could be the first literally 40 episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, Water Temple was certainly on there, and we were almost like, let's say we got to save that for like episode 20. We got to be into this show. Before yeah. we do a Water Temple episode, because <laughs> um, it's going to be a lot of fun. So anyway, that's that. Uh, we just did an episode on, this was Kate's idea, we just did an episode on all of the characters in Zelda games that have crushes on Link. <laughs> that oh, aren't was Zelda. It, 
Was it an argument of who should end up with, like, who should Link be with? <laughs> well, it's the weirdest thing. There's a trend. All right, Bachelorette Zelda number one. <laughs> well, what happens is, like, in every Zelda game, or in many of them, characters, like, say that they're going to marry Link, they have crushes mm-hmm. on Link, and that's a topic I never would have thought to talk about, but Kate was like, she was like, that might be weird and fun to talk about. And I was like, let's do it. And that's why you do, do a, a show with someone because they think of ideas that you don't think of. And it's been a lot of fun. So that's well, excellent. a way I... long winded plug for my two shows. <laughs> well, I hope that any of our listeners who might be video game fanatics, uh, particularly for Zelda, but video games in general, um, check out the Zelda podcast. And like David said, he has his techn- technology uh, podcast, mm-hmm. The Technophiles, where they talk about science and technology, which is really fascinating stuff uh, if you want to geek out with that. So check him out as well. Uh, if you want to check out anything else here at Redacted Media, uh, like and subscribe to the Facebook and YouTube and Twitter uh, pages to get all of our updates on short films and content. There's a new mm-hmm. podcast starting this month, uh, courtesy of Chris Scholes. Uh, Ooh, which, what's he which doing? Will, uh, it'll, it's called uh, the Filmological Society, and they are they are what? watching and reviewing the one the BBC's top 100 comedies of all time. Um, that, which is the first, that sounds interesting. It's the first list they're doing. So that new, that series is starting on Redacted this month. That's and, wonderful. Uh, um, yeah, and uh, also if you want to check out our short films, obviously hit up the YouTube channel. Um, I want to plug Ben's B- Band with No Name, which you can find Ooh. on YouTube, uh, and you can follow Ben on Instagram and Twitter at Benji Toes. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at TC's Big Head. Uh, so hit me up. And, and if people want to watch you and I play some video games, they can find us on uh, YouTube by probably just searching TC DeWitt because your name's in the title of those episodes. It's, you know, check out the look for you specifically, the Technophiles, and then you'll find me on there. <laughs> Technophiles right? plug, and plug TC DeWitt. In. Search that on YouTube <laughs> and you'll find us playing old Nintendo games, uh, Disney-based Nintendo games, which was a ton of fun. <laughs> and if I may, I totally uh, forgot, but people can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Raptor Paint. All right, TC, well, hopefully you'll have me on soon. I, this was a long yes. one. I was so excited. I talked a lot, but I hope that's all right. No, no, this is great. Thank you for for being on, David. And um, I, I'm interested to hear what the the listeners have to say about King Kong, about anything we discussed here, Peter Jackson, Spielberg, uh, maybe some J.J. Abrams hate. Whatever you got, throw it at us in the comments section wherever you might listen to this. Uh, that being said, if you are a creator out there, if you have a show, if you have something that you make, share it with us. Get it out into the world. Uh, we we are so supportive of other people creating. And uh, as I always say, keep doing what you're doing. And uh, we'll talk to you guys next time. Thank you, David. Thank you, TC. Sugar sweet, so is he. Bye, bye, black.